Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a yin and yang kind of thing. You know? Without cringe, there's no bass. <laughs> How can you be based if there's no cringe? Exactly. What are you being based against? I I think I think it was me that didn't know what based meant, and I was trying to like explain. And I was like, it's 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 the opposite of cringe. It's it's the dark side of the cringe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Silent Podcast. We're on episode four now of this this joint. I'm joined here with a very special guest. All my guests are special, but he's special in a very special special way. <laughs> Hello, he's a Cesar on Instagram, but I know him as Cesar. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I I had canes today, so yeah. it's already been a good day. You want to make like just talk about food the whole time <laughs> and never get to like the rest of the topics. I can uh, have so many hot takes <laughs> about food. I don't even want to start on that. But what's something like back home? Like one of your favorite like Honduran like dishes yeah. that like reminds you of like that. So my top dish is is this thing called a baleada, uh-huh. uh, and I think you've had one. I don't know if you've had one. Maybe we'll we'll correct that if you haven't. But Hannah has. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's just flour tortilla mm-hmm. with beans, uh, cheese, and cream on the inside. Oh, and that's like yes. the basic layout of it. And then you can add whatever you want to it. A lot of people add egg as a default. Yeah. Egg and avocado is a really good combination. Yeah. Some people put plantain on it. Some people put uh, actual meat on it. Yeah. In it. Uh, and it's, it's, I like the simple version. I just like the beans, cream, and cheese. And it's like, it's just, you know, flour tortillas. And and then all these different things, and I can eat it for breakfast or lunch or dinner, and it's it, it's like the favorite thing of home for me. That's my favorite thing about traveling is like going and trying food in new places. Like it's like it, I haven't been out of the country very often. It's been like only twice. I want to fix that too, especially now that things have opened up. Yeah, that that's my favorite thing is just trying food from different places because you can learn a lot about yeah a people's culture just like on what they eat. Where where have like you been? Culinary arts. I uh, I'd been. My family, one of our big vacations was Cancun when okay, I was in dope. fifth grade. Uh, so I didn't really see Mexico. I saw the resort inside of Mexico. But we, we did go to like uh, one of the Mayan temples, though. That was kind of a, a wild story because I actually remember in the last episode, uh, Mr. Miles Belvin was telling a story of how he went backpacking and got caught in like a storm and how he's writing a piece about how crazy that experience is. I remember this like almost like out of a movie. Like I was 11 or uh, 10. I was going into the fifth grade. It was a little disappointing because my, I guess my mom had been like before, like back in the 80s or something. I can't remember. I have to ask her like when. But they used to like back in the day let you go like up in there. But just because of like how people are and how tourists are, where anywhere they go, they just ruin stuff. It it just, when (laughs) I went, it was just off access. And I'm pretty sure they have it that way to preserve it now. But as like we were wrapping up, it was like just a huge storm came in and just like pelting rain and and you just have a bunch of white people, just just a bunch of like touristy type people there <laughs> that like basically I like I almost got separated because basically everything funnels through like one area like where the the guides like want you like to go. Mm-hmm. So it was like I almost got separated from my family for a second. It was really scary when like you're that small. And it's just like pouring down rain, getting super like muddy and rained. And it was just like wild time, not fun. But everything else was cool though. And then um, 
going to my freshman year of high school, I went to the UK and Ireland. Ah. And that was a good trip. There, there, I, I have a whole bucket list. I just want to travel really bad. I've, I want to just like get in my car. I have this pipe dream. Do you know about the new VW buses they've been working on? No, but tell me about it. It is, uh, it's called the Buzz. It's based off like the old, like have you seen the 60s, like the Volkswagen buses? Mm-hmm. They're, they're basically doing an electric version of that. Okay. And um, I think it's out in Europe now, but it hasn't come to the U.S. market yet. Or I don't know where else it's available. But I like, I'm just like, perfect. That's like, if I'm going to get an EV, I'll get that and make music out of my van. Or like, <laughs> I don't know. Because like, it just, it's just like one of those things. It's just a little thing I've talked about with like a few of like my music friends. I'm like, yeah. that'd be awesome. And just like take a week trip and drive around because there's so much to do even inside of the states. Absolutely. And or even like go up like to Canada or something. Like it's so easy to to travel on the cheap. I think people think like it's got to be this. I got to make it worthwhile and save thousands of dollars. I'm like, you already lost because because <laughs> they, they they prey on tourists like like you viewer who is saving up for their thing they're like oh yeah they got money so uh this eiffel tower thing 50 bucks and it's like just some knock whatever you know i was i had a a friend who um because one of my goals eventually is to move to germany and yeah i've been wanting to i think for the past couple of years i've made that choice love the language love the uh the opportunities there but but my friend who's been to europe uh he went to spain and kind of took trains around. Mm-hmm. He was telling me on how badly they prey on tourists there. Oh, really? Like, gypsy culture and, like, all that stuff is, like, really so prominent. Like, uh, what's the word he used? Petty theft. Okay, That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Petty theft is very bad. I think there was one instance where they got tricked at the subway. The The scammer told them that they would help them get their tickets, mm-hmm. used some sort of app on their phone to force the machine to bring out a ticket or a couple tickets, but it was like the, wrong the, thing. the single trip ticket. Uh, but they told them that it was like an all-day pass. That's and so they paid this guy the money for an all-day pass and they didn't get, yeah. My thought, like, is I hate, like, I got like, I've been changing my approach. I get like th- four scam calls a day. And like, I almost don't like it. It's hard when you're a working musician and you get like lots of unknown numbers. I straight up just, I just, I just did a greeting where I'm like, if I don't know your number, I'm not answering. I'm sorry. Cause it's just like every time I have, it's like whatever robotic voice. And right. it's just like, it, it's so rampant. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't even know like what you do to counter it, but it's just like, uh, just get a job. Because it, it's like it's so much effort to like try and steal someone's money. I'm like, why do you put that towards something good? You're this <laughs> like smart. productive to society. You're this intelligent, and you choose to rob people. Yeah, I this that's literally one of my biggest fears. Is that one day I will get a call from some sort of agent or some like opera company that wants me to sing for them? Yeah, and, and my phone won't be because I have my phone is set mm-hmm. to just reject any unknown number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my fear is that I won't even, <laughs> I won't even realize that I got a call from something important and yeah. it would just be like, okay, well, we'll move on to someone else. It's scary. It, like, it makes it almost useless to like actually use the phone for its original purposes. Yeah, <laughs> I think. 
It, it's like we almost just need to start over and have a new system, like tear down all of, <laughs> build a new. Okay, now we're moving into the anarchy territory. <laughs> bring this whole thing down. Let's bring it back. So tell me kind of like from the very beginning, your journey with music, like your earliest memories and how that's gotten to where you're at yeah. now. Uh, so it all started with the Big Bang. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. My family loves music. My dad loves to sing. My mom loves to sing whenever she's in tune. It's it's weird. She When she thinks about it, she goes out of tune very easily. But it's always been a thing. We sang karaoke. My family loves singing. Um, and I think growing up in Honduras, it was always this fun pastime. I think sixth grade was when I started like really getting into Bruno Mars, for instance, Jason Mraz and all that stuff. And I really started to discover my own voice because, you know, the the high tenors and, and, and pop culture. And I was like, oh, I can sing like them. Yeah. And so it was always a fun thing to do. The first song I ever sang in public was Just the Way You Are by Bruno Mars. And it was not good. But I gave it a try. Then I joined choir. And uh, when I was in Honduras, actually, my, my bigger thing was band. Really? I was a clarinet player. I was very dedicated to it. I loved band. It was very fun to do. When I moved to the States, I knew that I wanted to continue that extracurricular pastime kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but band was expensive. <laughs> that was one of my bigger culture shocks coming to the U.S. is how expensive band was. Because in Honduras, it's just performance, you know? We met after school voluntarily, and traveled three hours away at the most. Yeah. And so he, here it's like marching band and all these things. Plus, you have to buy your own instrument. Yeah. Thousands of dollars. Well, I was going to ask then, like, how the that experience is different. Because I remember being a band kid in middle school, like, growing up here. And uh, it, it's different for everyone, but in Texas, it's, like, really intense. Like, I, I couldn't... In high school, you have to march as a bassoonist, I'm like, you have to learn something. Most people do sax and basically they just threw a saxophone at me and they're like, good luck. You can take lessons, but you also need to keep your bassoon stuff up. Good <sighs> luck. So yeah, I, I was very fortunate. This is another thing because I was in a private school in Honduras, private bilingual school. Imagine a private bilingual school in Honduras to be what a public school is here. Okay. Like funding from yeah. some places and limited resources, but you make it work. You travel to conferences and competitions and stuff and extracurriculars. So we had like a limited number of instruments. There was a clarinet there for me. They gave us our sheet music and stuff. And it was definitely not as plentiful as it is here. But the bigger thing here is that I was expected to have my own instrument, which obviously I wasn't going to do back there. Because did you come to the U.S. like after public school like for for college like how did you get your no i uh i moved to the u.s when i was 15 so okay 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 right after freshman year of high school in honduras okay so i came into 10th grade and my dad was like let's go to school let's go have a little tour yeah talk to the band director we got the numbers and my dad was like we are i'm sorry you're not gonna do that but but then he was like, there's choir and you'd like to sing. And, and so uh, we talked to the, the choir director and she was like, it's a $50 fee. And my dad was like, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I figured you'll take 50 over 5,000. And so we, we, we took choir. And so that choir was kind of where it all started changing. Choir in Honduras was six, seven people getting together after school and singing pop songs. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Here it's, it's the classical style, the choral style. And as soon as I started discovering that singing style, I started falling in love with it. It was something completely different to anything I had done before. 
Um, I started to get acquainted with solid ensemble competitions. I did all state, uh, which I don't think I have ever exercised my competitive bone more than when I did all state choir. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in Texas especially is a is the perfect place to do that. I, did you make it? Did you make it? I, I did not. My my junior year, I made pre area. I remember like I dedicated so much time to it, but I felt I felt fine about it. My senior year, I made the last round two places short of making it and it broke my heart. It was, it was devastating to not make it, but I also knew because of how strongly I felt about it that I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. I made the choice to study music halfway through my senior year because uh, we had a different choir director and he was very, very encouraging. He signed us up for all the competitions and, and I think it was after a region choir where he came to me and he was like, you're going to do music. I think by that point, I had already made a choice for myself. I originally, before, before I made the decision, I wanted to do architecture because I, I liked art yeah. a lot. I think carrying on philosophies from back home and from a less developed country where you know, we value money a lot because yeah. we lack it. Architecture seemed like the perfect way to marry my love for art, but also have a lucrative yeah. career. But in retrospect, I did no art electives. <laughs> I did nothing in high school to improve those skills, sure. but I dedicated so much time to music. Um, it was a no-brainer when I finally made that choice. Nice. Then I went to UT Arlington because I, I, I wanted to leave Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm still here, but I wanted to leave Texas. <laughs> well, you'll be in Germany soon enough. Hopefully, yeah. But then when I realized I changed majors, I wanted to stay locally to kind of start fresh. And UT Arlington was a very beautiful place. My audition was... So amicable, the the professors, and I think your experience also matches this. They were very friendly. They were very inviting, but we also have killer faculty. There's there never was a single day since I made the choice to study music that I've regretted it. Even when I was in the thick of it at UT Arlington, I mean, I loved every second of it, and I still do. Yeah. So I mean, that's important. That will, that passion will take you so far in like any field, like no matter like what it is. Because I, I wanted to let you like finish the course, but I wanted to comment on it. It's like because I'm, and you're free to disagree as a professional vocalist. I'm of the belief that anyone can sing. Yes, it's just training like your your voice and finding those limitations and extending it. It all comes down to like accessibility. Like you know, we we see this in other parts of our education as far as like pushing STEM. Where if, if people have more access to, to different things, like as a young adult, as like during your youth, you're more likely to to find something that you can gravitate towards. Because funnily enough, I, I've talked about before in previous episodes how I had throughout high school wanted to do some kind of mechanical because I had a love for like the science and like math, but also for like art and music. And like I, I in my freshman year of high school was like, because they're asking you then, it's like, what like you need to be thinking about college like a year, not so even a hard. year into like your high school thing. And I'm like, well, maybe I'd like to do architecture because I like making things <laughs> and like designing <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, Lego. that'd be cool. I mean, yeah, kind of. I'm like, it, I always wanted to like marry the two. And it's like there, there really isn't like too much of a difference between like music and math, in my opinion. Many people don't don't see it that way. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. So so it's just interesting like hearing you say that because I, when I was growing up. I had family members like on on my dad's side. My my grandfather, his dad, 
was like a ragtime like pianist and was like at like a music school like here in like the states. This is around like Indiana, and he was he was stationed other places and would just like play at bars and like just really great pianist. And my my grandfather picked up on that a little bit and like they just had an upright in the living room. And even though it was like it was like okay, like don't don't touch that. He was happy that we were like playing with it. He just didn't want us to break his stuff, you know. Yeah. But it was it was one of those unspoken things where it was like. Okay, don't mess, don't mess with the piano there. It's like, but he, he, it made him happy that we were engaging with that. And we just had no idea what we're doing as kids. Like my, my cousins and I are like my siblings. We're just all there at the piano just making noise. I'm sure that infuriated them. But, you know, that's important though is just to have like access to try different things yeah. when you're growing up. Because eventually he got a Yamaha like electric that was upstairs in his office. And he was like, okay, y'all can use this one downstairs and this one's mine. And we would sneak up in there and play on the and mess with different patches on there and like just just having that around helps. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I make a lot of people uncomfortable <laughs> when I tell them that I believe everybody can sing. Because they always go yeah. like they're like, No, I can't, I can't. And 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 for me, having trained in it and having worked so hard to make my voice better, I do believe that it's just it's just a matter of exposure and cause one of the one of the comments I always get when I perform is like, oh, you're so talented. Like, oh, I wish I could sing like that. I wish I had that talent. And, you know, like as a musician, you relate to like, it's like, oh my gosh, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) If you only knew how, how little I think of myself sometimes when it comes to singing, I love hearing people try to sing. I love it when I'm in a public setting and someone's playing music and people are just screaming out their lungs, Mm -hmm. doing the best they can to like make music. Yeah. Because it's, it's it's anyone can and should try, and it doesn't have to be like the the best singing in the world, but everybody can sing. And it's yeah. the most accessible instrument. Yeah, everyone ha- like there's so many from like big contemporary like groups or other singers songwriter people that like don't study theory, but they just have the innate like they either have perfect or relative yes. pitch and can just just do that. They're like. I can't tell me how many interviews I've seen from like professional vocalists who are like, I don't know what notes I'm singing half the time. <laughs> and I'm just, what, what, what is your take on that? I guess like no, having it, trained in it. I love that you said that. One of the, one of my favorite things to talk about is I think it was about two and a half years ago. I went to Honduras mm-hmm. just to see my family and I was staying with my grandma and she was playing her favorite tunes. And I kid you not, she was harmonizing perfectly. Really? And, and again, like I said before, my mom, can tune if she's thinking about it. And my dad is an okay singer. Like he can tune really well, but there's rarely any like musical background in my family, but she has an incredibly good ear. Mm-hmm. And my grandma, like my grandma, you know, is a old fashioned, old time, uh, Hispanic household mother. So she never got education. Yeah. She never went to school for anything other than elementary and high school, obviously. But she was a house, uh, housewife, and culturally, unfortunately, that's how it was back then. So she never had any training in that, but she was harmonizing perfectly. Not just like up a third, but like fitting with the harmony. Yeah. And that is one of the most fascinating things in the world. That my grandma, who has six years less training than I have had in music, can do just as good, if not better, a job at harmonizing than I can thinking about it. I think the ear is so 
fantastic mm-hmm. and how it just picks up things because whenever I try to like teach friends about like harmony and melody and all that stuff is like sometimes I don't know what to say because I learned it that way. I learned it the the uh, quote unquote osmosis way. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who can do that so instinctively. And then you tell them to think about it and they mess up, which is, again, I make people uncomfortable <laughs> with my take on singing. Well, at any time of practicing, it's like me personally, I know a lot of people like this. It's really easy to practice when you're just in the shower or in the yeah. car, when you think no one else is listening. Sometimes when I'm playing my music too loud, I'll, I'll notice where I'm like, my I have on my watch, it'll notify me like if it gets too loud to kind of like protect my ears. Like I think if it goes over 90 decibels for too long. And like there's times where I'm just belting out stuff and that it triggers it. Like on like I'll have my car on full blast and that's fine. That did not it's like just barely tickling it, but then I'll start and it's like, okay, too much. <laughs> and then I'll turn it down. And I'm like, oh, that hurt. <laughs> I, hurt I hurt my voice. But uh, the easiest way when when you think no one's around and professionally, the, you know this, but people will tell you it's like the best way to practice for a performance is to practice performing. Yeah. And being in front of people mm-hmm. and doing it. But you know, separating that from the nerves, it's like that um, is very helpful to just to just sing and just let like you know same thing with like dancing. I just pretend like no one's there. That's literally what my my current voice teacher, who actually is German, yeah. uh, he whenever he comes to big performances or or we're singing in public, he just comes to us and he's like, "It's just singing. Mm-hmm. You're just singing," and it's. I think I've been so caught up in the graduate student life that I kind of lost track of the perspective that we were just talking about. Like, yeah, it is such a universal thing and such a shareable thing to be able to sing because everybody technically can do it. Yep. And uh, I don't know, it's making me think about it because I had not thought about it that way. I think being surrounded by a lot of people <laughs> who are trying their best to yeah. be the best. So thank you for that. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, like it, it's it's true. And like you, and you've come a long way. So I guess, what advice would you give to people who who are of that belief? Where it's like, oh, I I can, I can never sing because you started on clarinet. So I guess, like, what skills did you get from that to translate once you were like in choir? We oftentimes lose track of again what we were talking about that everybody can sing because. Ironically, of how accessible singing is, we we can all do it whether we sound good or not. And so it's very easy to say, oh, I can't sing because the one time that I was in public and I tried to sing this song by X artist that I like, I sounded like garbage. Well, of course you sounded like garbage. You have had zero training. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's so hard being a singer sometimes because you can't detach the concept of the voice from yourself. Even as, a, even as a student of singing, we have commented that the reason singing can be one of the more emotional performance practices is because it's so personal. Mm-hmm. Like when you get criticized on your singing, it's not, you cannot blame it on anything, quote unquote. Like for example, if I was a still a clarinetist and I had a cheap clarinet, I could be like, well, I don't have a good instrument. And and if you say that as a singer, technically you're kind of saying you're not a good instrument. Yeah. Uh, but but the voice is just like a clarinet, a violin, or any other instrument. It's capable of making beautiful sounds, but you need to work on it. You need to practice on it. You need to you need to build skill sets. I love that I'm starting to discover singing etudes 
and 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 songs that work as etudes and warm ups mm-hmm. because we need to. Uh, there was a classmate I had back in undergrad who gave me one of the best advice that I've kept since. He he sat me in a practice room and he kind of lectured me, which it was very <laughs> spontaneous. But but I loved it because he just gave me this whole thing on practicing as a singer, and he was like. Most of what you should be doing in the practice room is warming up slash working on hard passages because that's how you're building up your voice. And what I found out is like as I'm honing my voice, I come to new repertoire or old repertoire that I've been working on. Right. And and the things that I've learned are they kind of just fit. And a lot of what we singers do, and I say this as we because I did it when I was a freshman and a sophomore, is I would pick a piece. And I would start learning that piece. Yeah. And I would attribute habits to that piece. And I would take habits from that piece that may not have been present in any other piece I had before that. I said the word piece a lot. <laughs> but we don't have the habit of treating our voice like an instrument sometimes. Okay. In that we need to like warm it up properly. Oh, you don't have high notes, work on your high notes, spend 10 minutes just trying to see how you can sing them better. And I think it's hard to figure that out because if you're like on a bad day, your nose is running and you cannot sing a high G, <laughs> it's extremely demoralizing. We started with the sinus stuff this yeah. time of year. It's and it's, awful. A, it's, it's a bodily thing too. But if we switch that and we were like, okay, let me try to figure out what feels right about singing this note. And there's so much of a process in that. It's tedious. I understand why we don't do it. But I also <laughs> need, like, I want to reiterate, it's important to, like, treat your, vo- treat your voice like an instrument. Do scales. Figure out what combination on your vowels works for this high note. Then when you start working on a random piece, you can just apply all of that. That is hard to do because we want to get to, like, learning the words, learning the melody, learning all these things. Yeah. That's, like, because I think, like, all my instrumentalist friends, like their process is like, and you too, like you had to learn scales, right? Yep. For all your juries. Yep. And for us, like our juries is like seeing this Italian piece, which obviously like we have to learn our languages and we have to learn how to pronounce them. So they didn't have you do scales at all during juries. No. For, for those who aren't aware, uh, if where we went to university in a lot of places in the fine arts, if you're, if you're going to study music, you have kind of like a, an exam like at the very end of the semester to kind of evaluate your, your skill sets and where you've come. Yeah. And so instrumentalist juries look very different from vocalist juries. It's basically you show up, you select the X number of pieces you've been working on that semester and they ask you to sing them. And of course they're gauging your diction, they're gauging your vocal ability, how you can handle the the range and all that stuff. There's a lot of factors that come into it, but I think if we trace back the process, it's it's really easy to see why we struggle sometimes because sometimes we just go into our practice room, learn a piece. And that's how that's how we Forget learn it. music. Yeah, like, yeah. like that's how singers learn music. Like if you are like a professional vocalist, mm-hmm. you just learn the song. You don't it's it's rare that we break it down like that because we're not we don't have exercises like that sometimes. Yeah. But what I'm learning is like, okay scales to help me transition into my higher voice, help me figure out how to sing my lower voice, spending a lot of time practicing and taking passages that are difficult, figuring out what makes them difficult. 
that's been more beneficial to me as a singer mm-hmm. than just going into a practice room and running a song. And it's, it's, it's hard habits because I think because singing is so accessible and we do it a lot, we take some of the pop music and everyday habits of singing and we put them into our practice. Yeah. And that's what makes it very difficult. So to, to round it back to the question you were asking, because I know we like went in like five different directions. No, this is helpful information. I, uh, yeah, I think it's be patient with your voice. Don't criticize yourself if you don't sound great singing at first. If you're serious about singing, you're going to suck at first. That's, and I don't, I say suck very lightly because I don't think a lot of people are going to think you suck, but you probably will think you suck and that's okay because it's really hard to gauge your own process as a singer, both because you live with your voice 24 seven. And if you like singing, you probably do it 24 seven. You sound very different to yourself than you do to the rest of the world. So, Everybody else is going to be able to gauge your progress a lot faster than you do. But just trust it, work on it, actually work on it, and don't expect it to be Adele in 24 hours. Yeah. Singing takes a lot. To my understanding, it's like, it's like even like working out. Like, like it's literally like you, there's a reason they're called exercises <laughs> or like AT, and like warming up. It's, it's the same deal. It's like, those muscles like in your, your vocal cords, it's like you're almost like, again, without causing permanent damage, you're, you're tearing them a little bit to yeah. build up different frequencies that you're not were capable of previously. You know, For sure. that's just the science behind it. It's, it's, uh, it comes with time. It's, it's <laughs> whenever I'm teaching, cause I'm a TA at Texas tech. And so sometimes I have to fill in for my professor <laughs> And whenever I'm teaching like some of the younger, like freshmen, sophomores, and they're like working on their high notes and I'm like, good, you did. And they like, aren't able to sing it for a long time. I'm like, good, you did exactly what I asked you to do. You won't have it until like two years from now. Sometimes. And that's another thing. Yes. One of the things that infuriates me the most is seeing like videos of like kids singing opera uh, or singing like these really hard like Adele songs. Singing is such a biological thing and your voice does develop as you grow older. And so like a good example I think is Justin Bieber. I was thinking the same thing as you stopped to think yeah. <laughs> his his first songs he can he can hit the notes and his range hasn't really changed in the years. But you can just tell the quality of his voice improved as he got older. Because he matured. He, he, you know, he went through puberty and all that stuff. And there are certain things you are not going to be able to do until you're older. And also, so also if you're serious about singing or if you just want to get better at it, there is a patience that comes with time. Yeah. And um, you, will, you will get to do it when you're 30. <laughs> That's <laughs> Really like that, like just just building it up that long because yeah. biologically it's like you know everything for all intents and purposes when you're 25 you're you're done yeah grow but like you're fully developed so it's like even like that extra 5 years makes a difference absolutely think? uh there's just like your body gets it's older your muscles get stronger your throat muscles get stronger as they develop so there are and our professors talk about it a lot there are roles that are not meant to be sing like 
we'll, we'll get to this later, but I don't expect to perform certain roles until I'm in my 30s. Well, we can talk about the piece now. I have an unofficial segment on the show called Common Sounds. And so you'd show me a selection like from an opera. you remind me of the name of yeah. the piece again? Uh, the piece is called Amesami. Uh, and it's from the opera The Daughter of the Regiment by Donizetti. You know, you're talking about like etudes and like having things that like demonstrate what can be done with the voice. And I'm just like, how much like air? Like, like I, I just amazed, like even like when, when I'd been to some of like your recitals, just like how open their air passages, like their esophagus to be able to belt out like a <laughs> horn is is amazing. And I'll talk about because I'll ask you more about like the, the context here in a bit, but I... I noticed like some of the set design, you know, like it's, it's a period piece. I'm assuming, is it like during the French Revolution? Because it, it's a French piece, yes. I'm afraid I cannot tell you exactly when it okay. takes place. But yeah, it is. They're, they're military. Uh, if I can, the, the context of the piece is like this, this the daughter of the regiment, the main girl, this, yeah. she's, she was raced by like the, the regiment, the, the platoon, and the guy singing the aria, he wants to marry her. And so essentially in the song, he's asking the soldiers for her hand in marriage. Mm -hmm. And the segment that I showed you specifically, because it's a longer piece, Mm -hmm. uh, but the segment that I showed you specifically is when they finally give him the yes. And so he's just exclaiming happily that he's going to be a husband and he's going to be a military because he promised them that he would join the army. I see. If they let him marry her. And so it's, it's just a fun piece about a guy being happy about love. Yeah. Because th- that just comes through. Because like, there's even like a little moment. If I'll, I'll have the clip in the description for everyone to listen to it along. But th- there's even that moment where he looks like to his like men, and they're just like they can't handle his energy. Like <laughs> yeah. it just very nice acting too. Uh, so I guess then you've like because that was gonna be my my follow up question before we talked about this. I guess it's like when you'd started like taking opera like seriously and what role, I guess, like the, the narrative plays in that, like how, how that's translated from choir going like into like operatic where you have like a narrative. Yeah. You know, going on. That's a great question. I, um, I think where the, where the love for opera really started happening was outside of choir, solo and ensemble practicing my own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I love choir. The choir is great. I but. don't want to do much of that ever again in my life. There's, <laughs> I think Hannah relates to that. There are a few vocalists end. in the audience here who can relate. <laughs> Hadley, you too? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Choir is so much fun. If, if the silent you, podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience. You got to clap like, <laughs> This is one of those moments in the sitcom where the character does something and like the audience just goes, yeah. Awesome canned laughter. The, we don't have laugh tracks though, so this is the best you get. The the thing about choir is that it it gets you the technical ba- basics, like open your throat, support, yes. But the thing about choir, if you're serious about choir, is so much different about from it's so much different from solo singing. Your goal is to blend and to make a collectively beautiful sound. Yeah, and that can be demanding on the voice in technical ways that are super different from solo classical singing and even like chamber ensemble. I cannot sing. I cannot sit through a single choir rehearsal without feeling like my throat is dying. 
Really? Because the Not adjustments, bad, yeah, yeah it's, it's the adjustments that I'm having to make to match the choir around me. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're college choir is a little more fun because everybody's doing the same thing. But community choir, like I'm in Lubbock Chorale right now. Love it. People are great and I'm with friends and we're doing great pieces. But the adjustments that I'm having to make to be able to sing with older people is very hard on my voice. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can sit, I can sing an opera that's three hours long and, and I'm fine at the end of the day. This question popped into my head earlier. I, I think is now an appropriate time to ask since you mentioned it. I don't want to fill you with existential dread, but I'm sure this has come up before since you're talking about you know being fully developed at 30. What are your feelings on this professionally? Like as the voice like ages, like like getting like up in like the the years, yeah, and how that changes like your timbre because there's like some notable like in in the world like pop music contemporary where you know, an artist like David Bowie, I'm just, I'm thinking of, of like how he changed and had like a different range and like register just after like years of whatever, like what does that, does that scare you? <laughs> it doesn't scare me too much. In fact, I'm welcoming that. Yeah. Uh, but that's because of how my voice is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can probably tell because of how I'm talking, but I am a high tenor. I don't have many low notes. Yeah. Right now I am learning how to comfortably sing my low notes and healthily sing my high notes because my high notes come very naturally. I don't have to work really hard to sing them. So my goal as a, as a student is just to learn how to do them healthily so that when I am older and I have to work a little harder to produce them, I don't have to, I don't hurt my voice. I see. Uh, but I envision that when I'm 30, I'm going to have a lot more hard, uh, low notes <laughs> and I'm really? going to be more comfortable singing some of the more popular tenor stuff. I think for everybody else um, who's not, doesn't have a high voice, mm-hmm. I think it can be scary as with Bowie, like you're the repertoire you perform is going to change yeah. and that's okay. There are roles that are meant for older people just because of how robust the singing is either having to pump up big high notes or having to sing in the lower range of your voice. Yeah. Uh, there's a famous tenor Placido Domingo who is in the past couple of years has started singing baritone at the mat, but he was a tenor for most of his life a heavier one of that. Mm-hmm. And so now he sings baritone and that's cool. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It doesn't really scare me. Um, personally, I think there is room for those adjustments in the performance world. Nice. I mean, yeah. it, it, I guess it does help if you're starting off from a better place, mm-hmm. you know, just since you've been training most of your life, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess, is there anything else you want to add oh, on yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, the piece? Because, Man, like it, it's just so powerful. I've talked about this like multiple times, like on the show. Cause as an instrumentalist, one of the last things I'm thinking about are like the lyrics <laughs> for something. And then that's not that they're not important. It's just I, I'm listening to like the rest of like the arrangement, like the composition yeah. of, of something. And uh, then I like, if I re listen, I'll, I'll maybe I'll catch a word or two and then get more of like the context into like those like feelings. And especially when it's like in a foreign language when it's something I don't understand. And the only way that the vocalist, like the actor can communicate to me is by just like, just through like the tone just, yeah. just through that performance where I'm like, I, I got that sense of like overwhelming, like joy with a little bit of like melancholy, like that, at least from my perspective, I get that hint because one of some of the best things, like the happiest is like when you've gone through, some kind of struggle. Like you yeah. mentioned the story of, you know, he, he wasn't sure, 
if he'd be with this woman and then like had achieved his goals and now he's like have that release. Now you get know? to like who? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah, once I started doing solo singing, I must say as a younger singer, I, I cared more about like the high notes and like the, how to sing it properly. Now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to like think more about the drama, mm-hmm. but it definitely was a captivating factor for me. I love being able to act and tell a story and, and know what I'm saying and, ex- and being expressive. Um, and it just, I don't know, it's, it's one of these things where I, and I still get nervous, obviously less than I did before because I've been doing this for a longer time. But once I get into the character and I know it's go time, like I'm on stage and I know that for at least three hours I am no longer myself but this guy that I'm supposed to play, it's like nothing else matters for me. Mm-hmm. Like I literally just, I'm this character, I get to be this character, I'm here, I already audition. I already got the part and nothing could make me nervous. That's how it feels. Except for solo songs, then I get a little more nervous because it's just me and the audience. Yeah. But I still envision the character. And I think that's always been something that I've wanted to do. And I didn't get to do it until my sophomore year of college. Like as far as like monologuing like to the audience. I yeah, guess, and like being an actor. Show. Yeah. Up to that point, it was just, let me stand in front of the audience with the piano and sing, right. which recital singing and stage singing you'll hear a lot of differences in singers. And I love recital singing. I love standing in the front of the audience and just singing. Uh, but having costumes and staging and all that helps a lot <laughs> because you have something to do with your hands. Mm-hmm. I think one of, the, one of the most fun things to do as an audience member, go to a recital and just see what the singer does with their body yeah. as they're singing a scene from an opera or an art song that's about love. And they just stand in front of a piano. See, <laughs> see what they do. See what they do. Subconsciously, you mean? Yeah. Like, some of us lift our hands. Uh, some of us hold it up to our chest. Some of us lift both hands. Some of us just stand there. Yeah. Some of us lean on the piano. We don't know what to do with our bodies because <laughs> we like having props and costuming and staging and someone to grab. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fun challenge. What? What is your inspiration then now that you've gone into acting? I, mean, I guess we can talk about it more since you brought it up. You were just recently a part of like a, a production uh, for uh, Don Giovanni. It's like, what character did you play? Yeah, I, so I love Don Giovanni because I love motor operas in general because they're really good case studies of human psychology. Yeah. Classical, classical age, all that stuff. They were really into that. So Giovanni is an excellent study on human relationship. Uh, and not an excellent example, just an excellent study <laughs> of right. different relational tendencies. Trigger warning for the following subject. Yes, there is a, to provide some context, Don Giovanni is this womanizing nobleman who tries to rape this lady, fails, kills her dad, and now he's being hunt, uh, hunted for revenge by this lady that almost got raped and her husband, and I play the husband. It's a strong show. It's a strong show. It deals with... with uh, those themes and abuse and there are three couples essentially in the show. My couple is one of them. Then there's this peasant couple and Giovanni married this girl named Elvira so he could sleep with her and then left her. And so she's looking for him. And those are like the three couples in the show. And I love talking about relational psychology. It's one of my pastimes. So the character that I played, he's very much the kind of guy who tells you he's going to do something and doesn't really get it done. 
he's more of a people pleaser, but not in the sense that he acts on it, more in the sense that he will say whatever he needs to say to make you happy. And his his fiance is the very strong female type who wants to get things to get done. And if they don't get done, we'll take it onto her own hands. So I really got to play the pushover husband who is trying to calm down his wife, but the wife won't budge. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's messed up. Um, my character is very messed up and I had a lot of fun playing him because he's, <laughs> in a way, he's a shadow of who I used to be. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, just in like how I would handle relationships. Not as toxic as he was, but I got to like, you know, I got to get into a character that is not me. Yeah. And, and, and think about who he is and his motivations and what he's, what is, I, we, we had a discussion with the whole cast and I was like, what was his upbringing like? I think someone asked me like, is your character close to his father? And I was like, no, he's not. And then those kinds of conversations are so fun because there's so much that we think about and we try to pack it all into a three hour show with like limited scenes. Yeah. And I love that there is, that I gave life to a character with, with all that nuance and I just get to play him. I guess you kind of answered like my follow-up questions as far as like drawing from real life experiences and how that, that informs that performance. I, I guess what I want to know as far as, um, some of the pictures I'd, I'd seen of the production that y'all done, you know, the costume designs like of like the period, more or less. What decisions, because I know in the world of classical, at least for like instrumental music, like especially when it comes to Bo- Mozart, it's like a lot of that world in um, the scholarly sense is like trying to preserve that and... Um, Think about like from the perspective, okay, like how authentic would this have been performed like then, especially during like recitals. As far as like the direction you were given, was there any like what was taken into consideration as far as like the original like authorial intent and then y'all's production, like what take to not modernize it, but that like through through the lens, because you you were talking about very serious subjects that... um, Maybe like might might be be sensitive today, but but are still relevant. Yeah, as far as like taking that into consideration, you know. Yeah, one of the one of the coolest things was I think a couple of people, a couple of us took the historical approach when it came to our character, uh, which can be hard, especially classical period. Mozart, like you said, is very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. He will tackle concepts that are still relevant today. This one. Don Giovanni specifically has a lot of relevance because of how women are treated and how certain men think things are supposed to be. And some of us took the historical approach while also taking into consideration the message we wanted to give. Mm-hmm. I think my version of my character is someone that is very close to what was intended of him to be. I but I've definitely seen examples of that in the real world not just myself but like other men who who have struggled with like trying to be a strong figure but not really knowing how to or saying whatever they need to say to make quote unquote shut the woman up you know um but there's also there was one of the cast members she really wanted to do away with the original intent of her character which was the crazy wife 
who Hysterical, doesn't know when to yeah. quit. Hysterical wife, who many people would see as a comic relief. She tw- twisted that around to be more of like a strong woman who doesn't know when to quit because she so firmly believes in what she wants to do. And it was good. It was good. I think there is a lot of flexibility when it comes to creating these characters. Mozart didn't write notes on who they were supposed to be. We just know what they sing about Mm -hmm. and we know some of the general stage directions they're doing. And so there's, there's been a lot of attempts to modernize opera stagings and, and themes. A lot of them work really well. And I, I am totally for modernizing because, you know, yes, we perform these operas for our own enjoyment Mm -hmm. Like, I know that I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't like what I'm doing. But I also like the idea that we can, we can share something with the audience that's just more than music. Yeah. Specifically with these classical operas that are so thought-provoking. And if we modernize the way we approach our characters, they can relate more to that. And they can get something more out of that. So, yeah. Comedy, it, it's very hard to deconstruct what's considered funny. Because a lot of things that would be funny like even like 30 40 years ago are problematic now yeah but it's like the, i think the best comedy because you know someone who is like giovanni it's like they, they make jokes but it's not really a joke yeah kind of like just a, a way to get out of like the consequences for something but someone i've kind of come to appreciate that i i didn't care for too much this is kind of related but uh norm mcdonald as a comedian is a brilliant, like very genius because uh, comedy is kind of a, a deconstruction of some of the absurdity mm-hmm. of life. And, and he knows exactly how to push people's buttons in like a thoughtful way. If you look at any of like his stuff from like SNL, um, some of his like standup, I was listening to, I, I, I think it was, I don't remember what the recording was from necessarily, but it was like a talk radio thing where he was being hosted and, just bluntly, I don't even remember the context. Like, I'll, I'll include this if I can find it in my in my citations. But it was just like it's like black people generally are poor, <laughs> and and like the the host of the thing was like, whoa, like you that's that's so incentive. It was like not all black people are, but I'm like, he's like, well, no, I I don't want them to be, and and, and like of course he's doing it to comedic effect, but it's actually like. If you really think about it, it's like advocating. It's like, he's like, no, I just said generally, like, we need to admit this is factually true. Yeah. Right. And like admit that this is an absurdity that criminal, it's an, it's an injustice. It's like, you know, to try like to empower minorities and like targeted groups, you have, you have to first admit that there's an issue. And like, she just, the host wanted nothing to do with it. Cause you know, it was, it was, again, this may have been the early two thousands, like too con- controversial to talk about, yeah. but he's just like, he's just like, what? No, I st- like not all like, of course, like that's, that's a, it's a generalization, but he was like, but that's to recognize the problem, yeah, you know? And of course he did in a comedic way. Like he, he, he knew that it would get a rise out of her. Yeah. You know, it, like, it's his, it's his avenue. <laughs> uh, weird example, but just a real life thing I'd thought of like, as far as like, like different, you know, marginalized groups, you know? Um, so that, that's to me like, cause I'm, I'm very unfamiliar with, I'm, outside of like theater and like opera, like very like much an outsider in that regard. Like kind of what, like are there like comedic elements? Like is um, the, the main protagonist, like kind of the way y'all presented it, you know, obviously he's, he's the 
protagonist, but it's more like tragic that he doesn't realize the error of his yeah. ways. Is there a comedic element there, just like a dark? Yeah, com- uh, or like as much as we've been talking about the themes of the opera, this is here's here's the kicker: it's a comedy. Yeah, the opera <laughs> is a comedy. <laughs> yeah, um, and and uh, that's that's what Mozart did a lot of the time. He he with his with his you know his agenda and and how he wanted to present things contextually back in the day, he wanted to create these thought provoking stories and he wanted to push the boundaries of what was normal. He wanted to poke fun at the nobility. Don Giovanni is a commentary on how noble people think they can get away with whatever they want. Yeah. And at the end of the, at the end of the opera, spoiler alert, I guess, I mean, it's been 300 years, but he goes to hell. Spoiler warning. He gets, he gets, he gets dragged to hell yeah. uh, and pays for his crimes. And there's, there's, you know, that kind of fable moral of the story kind of, kind of vibe. Uh, but because he knew that if he straight up made a serious story about a nobleman who was not a good person, that was not going to get published. Mm-hmm. He was not going to be allowed to perform it. And so he had to spin it in a way that was allowed at the time. It's uh, if you ever seen the movie Amadeus, there's a whole section of the movie where Mozart is trying to get his first opera, uh, The Marriage of Figaro, yeah. published. And that's all about a count who's trying to steal Figaro's wife like days before his wedding. He's married too. And so there's like, again, nobleman being trash, but it has to be presented in a way that it's comedic and, and there's other elements. So Don Giovanni, there's the historical wife character. There's the, I would say my character and the character that plays my, my fiance is the more serious part of the opera. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else is like the slapstick. Don Giovanni has this like servant called Leporello and he follows him around and he's more of the main character. Okay. Giovanni's more of the titular character right. because Mozart really wanted to present the perspective of peasant, of someone who is outside nobility. And Giovanni does all these antics and gets in all this trouble and how he interacts with his his wife that he left is funny. There's the poor couple and their antics are supposed to be funny. Uh, it was It's interesting because one of the castmates who played the poor husband, we had a whole discussion on this because he thought that his character was meant to be the comedic relief, period. And that he was just funny because of how he was written, because of how his music was written. And, and what I really wanted him to understand is I was like, you don't get it. He's not funny because he's dumb. He's not funny because he's stupid. Literally, the reason that people tend to find him funny historically is because he's poor. That in and of itself is a, like a societal reflection. Like people, like the noble people of the 1700s would read that subtext and be like, haha, poor guy's funny, obviously. But, but, but looking back in hindsight... For me, it's like, oh no, what I'm, what I'm leading, like it's a smart character, very intelligent, very capable, but he gets crapped on in the opera because he's poor. And that's social commentary yeah. that back then wasn't able to be seen. And I think historically, a lot of people have taken that to mean that that character is supposed to be the comedic, the comedic relief. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm really glad that we took a lot of time to research our characters for this opera yeah. because we were able to see it with a modern eye. Uh, the poor guy's wife tries to cheat on him with Giovanni and there's like <laughs> gaslighting involved. Yeah. She lies to him. You have to laugh about it. Otherwise you just cry. 
Like it's tragic. It just yeah. yeah. And again, it, again, it's a great study of dysfunctional relationships. Uh, people who get married and and cheat on each other and and why they do that and what that looks like and how messy it all is. Yeah. It's a joke because people are messy. And it's true. The, the moral of the story is don't be an asshole. <laughs> don't be like Giovanni and don't cheat and don't don't sleep with all these women just because you can. Like don't abuse your power, obviously. But the, the, the bigger picture is also like people are messed up. Like every character, I, I heard someone say this in the cast, like every character in the story is a bad person in one way or another. It's a lot of comedies where there's yeah. some flaw. Giovanni know. is the worst, obviously, because he's a womanizer and all these different things. He deserved to get his punishment. But everybody else is, there's a cheater in the group. There's anger issues. There's my character with like accountability issues and people pleasing. And there's my character's fiance with like struggling with like finding who her identity is and like trying to fit in a, in a man's world and not knowing how to express her own rage and act on it. But if we centered on all those serious themes, it would be a very depressing opera. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that Mozart hasn't written serious stuff. He has But then it's like the opera. point almost gets lost, especially on, you know, the context of the time, yeah. you know. But in the comedy, like in acknowledging, like you said, uh, acknowledging those realities mm-hmm. and putting them in a funny light, I think it's easier to, to digest. Yep. Because then we're, we're laughing about it in the moment. And then we get to go home and say, what was that really about? Yeah. <laughs> it's because nobody wants to sit in a show and constantly be going, oh, no. Oh, no, that's me. Yeah. I do that. Yeah. I don't like no. this. This is horrible. Like, I, I can't believe they portray yeah. my kind. I'm not going to mention their names and not even give them credit, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny to, it's better to be, you know, like that one vine with that one guy who's like, huh, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to laugh at yourself. Otherwise, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite modern examples of that is, uh, and I talk about this show so much, Community. Oh, yeah. yeah Everybody yeah. in that group is a bad person yep. for a very different reason. It's like uh, always sunny in Philadelphia. I, I, I haven't followed all the way through, <laughs> the but yeah, they're, they're like, it's an anti-sitcom. They're like, I'm not the first person to coin that, but they're all evil and things that in sitcoms where like the episode would just end and they're scot-free of like, no, like they, they've done, they've legitimately done damage yeah. to their community and everyone around <laughs> them and to each other. So yeah, I, I'm not as familiar with community, but yeah. Yeah, and I think... It's easier to learn from those things. Mm. I have hot take. One of my hot takes is that I'm not a big fan of dramas. Sure. I think sitcoms and comedies in general are portrayed more realistically than dramas ever have. Dramas go so far mm-hmm. to like hammer these serious themes that I'm just like, I guess... And sometimes they nail it. Sometimes it's a sad story and I'm like, I relate to that shit so much. Yeah. But sometimes it's like, is it really that bad? <laughs> and I think sitcoms, when done right, they can take a break from all that funny and they hit you with a moment of seriousness and you're like, fudge. That's, whew. Yeah. And that's what Giovanni felt like to me. It's like this, this, fast-paced, things-are-happening kind of moments, but then we're grounded and we have this 
this moment of sobriety. Yeah. Where like, yeah, yeah, he's funny. He gets in all these antics, but he did kill a man. And now the statue, the, the ghost of this man came to find him and took him to hell. Yeah. Remember, kids, don't be an asshole. Yep. And I think, you yeah, know, it's coming to you. Yeah. easily digestible that way. Uh, I, I, I personally think comedies are a great way to learn about life. We'll eventually start, start closing here. But to kind of like wrap, wrap up this subject, you know, in, in the world of film, a lot of the time comedies are just like, it's so sterile, like in Hollywood, as far as what's considered like comedy, like the, the genre to me is like not been respected. Like, I, I don't know of any like funny movie in the last like five years that I really like cared for Yeah, <laughs> because cause it's just like whatever. And it, and you're right. It's like, there has to be like moments of seriousness. Like there's the, the term with acting like the, the straight man as far like the not comedic relief character yeah. where you, you have to have that comparison and in any kind of narrative, you have to have those moments for comparison's sake. Cause then you have the baseline of like, like, cause if everything's just like, this is my problem with like modern comedy with like a lot of, sitcoms or in film where it's like it feels like your friend group where you're just watching like a bunch of people try to like out like joke each other yeah and i'm just like it's not transparent it's like you need some kind of story or narrative because it's funny you talk about community i'd seen some like deconstruction of like how people misunderstand a particular episode where they are they all write like like for like a horror film i think oh is my gosh. Was. Do, you remember, do you know that episode yes uh so so there's a lot of people who are like yeah, like um, this movies would be boring if they were like this. I'm like, you've missed the point entirely, my friend. the 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 point of that is that th- the character, like, because basically they're like, well, yeah, this is a comedy. That that's what's funny is that we don't like that. That would be dumb. But it's not just that they're dumb. It's just that, that like, the point. Um, there's one in particular. Like, uh, I forget the name of the character or the actor, but. You know, he's, he's very logical and just like, well, oh, Ovid. If, yeah, it like basically like he, he, he has his first try where basically like just characters, you know, in, in any kind of like slasher film, they're making dumb decisions yeah. and get into trouble and just like, what? Well, everyone's like, well, that doesn't make sense. So by the end of it, he fixes or like, you know, all the doors are locked and they're in a cabin and they're totally fine. And so nothing happens. And, and there, there's a gross misunderstanding of the, the point of that in the show. Because it's like, it's funny because people think that that's a fix and it's obviously not. Even it, like, it, it's it's meta because even the show itself, like that's his character. Like he's he's being taken seriously and we're, we're laughing that that he actually followed through yeah. with that instead of it just being like, haha, I know this from real life. You know, people who criticize art, dumb, bad, not funny. But it's like like they're both two different extremes as far as like the poorly written teenagers want to, you know, they have lots of feelings and emotions and then they get caught up in whatever. And then the opposite where it's like everyone thinks logically and, and it's not that like it, they're, you know, just making all the sound decisions outside of it. But it, it's like, you know, people are flawed, yeah. of course. So like if, if you're writing something, it's like you want to work with the those characters flaws because they're not going to make perfect decisions that's that's ridiculous yeah. and it just that that's why that's funny because again they may make mistakes but at least at least they're trying to survive that's what makes it good like at least in the horror like genre it's like they're at least trying because then it's pretty transparent when you're just like okay this is just gore porn yeah <laughs> you're just watching people die 
Like, I'm just like, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no, that's, that's what makes it. Because otherwise you're just, it's just a visual. Yeah. It's a nothing. Yeah, no, I, I love that episode. <laughs> I love almost every episode in that season. But I think it's like, it's not that I want everything to be like realistic, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's why sitcoms are fun for me. Is because they take me out of it. They and I mean, and it's sensible. Like good sitcoms are sensible, relatable, real people. Yeah, and put them in situations you never be in, and you see how they react. And whenever they sober up for those deep moments, you don't have to have. You don't. It feels like I'm working hard to believe it because I'm like, yeah, they're real people. I mean, obviously they're not, but it's it, it feels more real to me because while the work while the world is. Suspended in disbelief because they do things that probably we wouldn't do. They are still relatable enough yes. and and then logical enough. I think that's. I, I'm glad I get to insert this at some point in the podcast. But this is like why I don't like The Office. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to watch the UK version of it. Yeah, I heard that it's superior in every way. Man, our live audience is booing us. I, this episode's not going to do very good just because of that. It. it <laughs> Drop a like if you if you like The Office and you hate me for yeah. not liking The Office. But if 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 you love The Office and you hate me, leave a comment too. Don't forget don't to forget like, to comment, subscribe. and subscribe. <laughs> if if you don't agree with any of my hot takes, please drop a like so that yeah. we know. Send we it to all your friends. Send it to whatever like you know subreddit. And, and like like look at this guy. Like yes, yeah. And and don't tell them what part of the podcast I say this on, so that they have to watch. You have all to listen of it. an hour in to get to here. <laughs> I. I can't suspend it with The Office. Every time I, I see an episode of it, and I know this is a personal thing, but it's like I just don't see a world where I could live <laughs> when Michael Scott is out there. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I, I probably, I don't know where I got this from, but it makes sense because it's something I can relate to. Uh, the Peter Griffin effect, <laughs> where you start as, as a homer, where you're the relatable everyman, and then they just like they become caricatures of their character and they're no longer real people because like the later seasons of Family Guy it's like why is Lois even married to this man anymore and I know it's like well it's just a cartoon but I'm like yeah but but, but like would it be funny like if, if some of like some season if they went through that where they had got a divorce yeah would that not I mean, lead to like funnier situations than the status quo Yes, it would. I'm thinking about it. I see, I'm not even trying to get this deep with it, but I'm like, but, oh, it, but it is. It, it's the Peter Griffin effect where it's like, he's dumb, he fat, he fall over. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of the Peter Griffin effect, can we like, can we have like a clip of Family Guy playing under this? I'll try. <laughs> can we be like everybody else and have like, either like a game playing under it? I, I, I love like the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have like the TikTok edit. Like when I do the clips channel, yeah, I'll have this and I'll, I'll have um whatever mobile game that he's in, whatever the weirdest, mo- weirdest multiverses. I I don't get it. I don't I don't know why that's a thing. Yeah, but it cracks me up. Like it's either a clip of South Park or it's <laughs> our Family Guy under or on top of like a mobile game, and I'm like, who made this a genre? Yeah. Anyway, that's. Huge digression, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I love comedies that that give me a world that I believe and and sober me up with character development, life lessons, dramatic moments that make me feel for those characters. I can I can talk on and on about those things, but I I'm, I'm a 
big believer that comedies are a great life lesson opportunities. And I think Don Giovanni, if done right, can do exactly that. Yeah. I think we, we, we did some of that. Nice. That's awesome. I, I'm super happy for you. I'm sorry I missed it, but uh, you've sent me footage so I can, I can watch yes. the recording of it at home. The whole, the whole show is available on Vimeo. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. The, the link I sent you has the entire thing. Nice. Well, I'll make sure to include that uh, for everyone else to watch at home as well. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we get into the next song or next musical selection? I uh, know. Okay. Well, with that said, like as far as comedy goes, um, for my pick, I had shared with Cesar uh, a video that's been making its rounds. I think it's been out for like maybe a month <laughs> and it showed him I recommended. And it's got millions of views it's now. Like, very good for this Yeah. <laughs> and it's already been blowing up. Like I, 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 Again, just how the internet works. Uh, do not thug me. I am scared. Like, Her- you're making the jump from like classical <laughs> realist comedy to absurdist <laughs> animation. Well, well, there's a point. Like, uh, I want to get your takes on the video first, but we will talk about the music specifically in there because I, I try and share things that like a fresh year, like you know, expose people from different sects, like different. Things like different genres, maybe something like it. So I can not reaction content, but uh, first impressions. If you want to see my full reaction, just click on the link below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, tell me what you thought. I I laughed so hard because, <laughs> especially because "Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared." Oh my gosh, that was a big part of like my teenage years. Yeah, that thing traumatized me. But so I, when I saw them pop up, I immediately know what it was about, or so I thought. And then they had guns <laughs> and then they started shooting and suddenly literally. Okay. So like the only two things I wrote mm-hmm. was the title. Yeah. Cause I was like, um, I'll see if I have notes. Yeah. And the only thing I wrote was Sesame street question mark <laughs> versus don't hug me. I'm scared. Yo, Sesame street and, um, the Muppets. And the Muppets. Yeah. I lost my absolute crap when I saw big bird. Yeah. <laughs> like, but Kermit, um, for those of you, if you listen to this and you know me, you probably know that Kermit is a big part of my personality as a person. Kermit is love and life. I have a sweatshirt that was a gift from one of my really close friends, Vanessa. Here's your shout out. That has two pictures of Kermit as a cowboy, and it says, on the outside, I'm hooting, on the inside, I'm hollering. So... I absolutely love Kermit the Frog for for the symbol of modern meme culture that it is. Yeah. Now the video was absolutely hilarious. I I was so confused at first. Mm-hmm. And I guess yellow guy like got beat up by Kermit. Yeah. And then <laughs> Kermit had a gun. Yeah, they, they, they come back. Yeah, he's he's spraying and praying. Is <laughs> honestly is if you've ever seen Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, it had the same energy. It, it definitely uh, is like an like anime adjacent because it's not an anime art style, but definitely you could see like you know because I got Kill Bill vibes. I got like eighties like action like buddy yeah, cop yeah, like whatever fiction thing. vibes on that. Yeah, like Tarantino esque. But man, uh, it's just it's but it's a, it but it works though. It's it kind of fits. I think it's like I, my head canon is like the character suffered so much. <laughs> that, that this is just the only avenue they had. Well, are you aware? Because I, I had a friend who pointed this out to me. I think it was last year that there's a full series now 
of like because there there's been multiple episodes of Don't Hug Me I'm Scared because right. a lot of us were traumatized by the first not even the episode just the first video then they made sequels to it yeah but now like it's it's a full production like they have a, a whole series and there's like a lore and like whatever like to to it which I thought was cool because like after that had been pointed out to me I I noticed this. And it's almost if we're talking like a narrative, like even though it's a comedy, it's silly that these things are juxtaposed with each other. But it's like it feels like a kind of counterculture X where it's like the the original Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared is a commentary on, you know, you wouldn't expect that from a Sesame Street. Like it's that simple where you just the anticipation of like, oh, this is a kid's thing. And then it goes like really dark. And there's the subliminal messaging, you know, and the fact that they're literally going to war. With with the the what they were parodying, yeah, and it's like is is funny if you really think about it, but also the the music I want to talk about. Are you familiar with uh, MF Doom? No, I'm not. So technically, the, the song is a uh, vaudeville villain Victor Vaughn is the name of the artist, but that's an outlet for um, MF Doom from 2003. He only did one album under Victor Vaughn, but if you know anything about his character. This is an artist that I, I wish I'd gotten into much earlier in my life because, unfortunately, he, he's passed in the last couple of years. So I've known him from features from other things. Like, I know him, like, through Gorillaz. That's, that's the biggest one I'm thinking of now is, like, their um, Demon Days album. He's on one of those tracks. But, man, because I, I did a little bit of research coming into this because uh, I've, I've it's just always been a curiosity of mine. So this is why I wanted to present this to you. I want to know as far as, like, what are your thoughts as far as... um in like the pop space or like hip hop, like kind of having like that, that character, like drive yeah. the music, you know? I think us classical musicians, we have a luxury that our music is rooted in technical prowess. Mm-hmm. Whether I am sometimes like if I'm singing my aria in the opera, yeah. whether I am singing, whether, whether I am portraying the character to the T or not is yeah. not as relevant as the fact that I am nailing very fast moving high notes and melismas and all that stuff. But but as a as a contemporary performer, your brand and the character that your brand is related to are extremely important. Mm-hmm. I say every every modern performer is an entertainer. You have to be. You have to be. And then you have to be kind of a full package. I mean, if you go to a concert for like any new artist, they're not just standing there singing. This is the first one that comes to mind because of who I'm dating. <laughs> but Taylor Swift, she's she's going on tour right now. And I've seen clips from it and like there's all this showmanship and all this and and her private life, unfortunately, plays a huge role in her popularity. Whether she likes it or not, I don't think she is actively like creating a narrative with her life, but people like to create narratives. But, but I mean, but it's absolutely true. I can't remember if, if I mentioned this in the previous episode, but this business, it's like if if you're putting your name on the record, you're selling yourself yeah. in a way or a part of yourself. Yeah, it's it's not it's not like before. Like I get to make a living singing Mozart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not attached to my. I'm not attached to the music or the themes. Mm-hmm. I just I get to sing pretty and I get away with that sometimes. Yeah. But nowadays it's like you have to be sellable. You have to look the part, be the part, sing the part, do the part. It's so much, and I think it's very intelligent to lean into a character, especially a character that's not you. Uh, because it allows you to detach yourself from that. I think what MF Doom is doing is that he probably didn't want him, whoever he really was, to be in the limelight as much. Yeah. 
He was very private, ju- just for your information. Yeah. yeah. So that that adds to it. I mean, it's like creating a character allows you, even if you're criticized for your music, even if you are like shat on for what you do, it's not you. It's Doom. You know, and with it's just the unfortunate downside of the industry is if you become a public figure, you lose any semblance of privacy forever, mm-hmm. forever, because you will always be who you were back then. You know what I mean? It's you can retire to a little vista and like live the rest of your days because like people will know where you are, people will know who you are. We're connected, and so I think it's it's very intelligent to create a brand mm-hmm. that's as detached to you as possible. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll tell you a little bit, like from some of my limited research. Because um, apparently he had had a little bit of um, of a career, like doing like hip hop, like in the '90s, and that kind of had fallen apart with like just some bad record deals. Where he was respected by like his colleagues, but it just wasn't getting played, and like took a time away from it. And just some harsh life realities that happened. That I um, I don't want to misquote, so I will like spread misinformation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I, I think his first record was like '99. They came back as as MF Doom, you know, like yeah. as as that persona, like just rebuilt and like had that shield, I guess. I thought of Joji, mm-hmm. um, yeah, to rebrand. Like I think yeah. one of the reasons why he was able to rebrand himself so easily mm-hmm. was because we knew so little of who he was before he became Joji. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Filthy Frank is a cultural icon. But and it's also a character. It's also a character. Yeah. He was never George. He was always Filthy Frank or Pink Eye. And um, <laughs> we love Pink Eye. But yeah. if, if I think, not to discourage anybody from wanting to be a public figure, mm-hmm. I think it depends on what you like value. Yeah. Because I think as that public figure, you can do so much and you can lead and inspire so many people yeah. by letting your life be a symbol of sorts. You know, by being a public performer, it just takes a lot. Yeah, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of privacy away from you. Well, especially in the, in the world of like hip hop, where like so many people like just go like under their legal name. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about as instrumentalists, like not paying attention to lyrics, but it's like you know, it, it basically that's that's the art of like rap and hip hop is is your flow, your words, your your storytelling. The bre- the beat and production matters, and like man, that that song like slaps. Yeah. Um, that's the title track of Victor Vaughn's album. Like that was the the other persona he was going under. Yeah, it's you're you're kind of like telling an exaggerated version of of your life story, like in yeah. in quick like succession. You know. Yeah, I think storytelling is particularly important for hip hop, mm-hmm. is because we're focusing. Hi, Sasha. We're focusing on the. Uh, our producer's losing her mind right now. <laughs> PA, just no. <laughs> is, it, is it about the office? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay. I like Jim and Pam. Is that is that are you cool with that? They're cute, I guess. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing well. They're problematic. I don't know. I have no opinions. I'm just gonna say whatever now. <laughs> it should never happen, but also it should have. There you yes. go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that's your life becomes part of your brand. And that's for everyone, but especially hip hop, because you don't rely on catchy tunes and repeated choruses. People are really paying attention to what you're saying. And like, if your bars are good, if your, if your flow is good, um, 
if what you're saying means something, which I know in a way I'm happy about that because I'm glad that people still care about what things mean. I love we can get cynical when it comes to hip hop and be like, oh, all they talk about is this and this. And I think you hear one song about objectifying women and you think all hip hop is that way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's just, um, some of it is problematic, especially during like the bling era, like in hindsight. But a lot of it, if you're really thinking about it, it's just, you know, an expression. Yes. It, like a, a lot of them. This is changing because there's there's lots of like, you know, predominant like in like like strong like women like in it now, but that's that's not what used to sell, unfortunately, like twenty years ago. But it was like that was their perspective, and just it may not be correct, and and anything they'd be like, nah, that's not right. But that's just how I felt about like you know being a yeah yeah like it's, having those feelings. It's I think I, I reflect on this a lot, not to get like extremely deep, but like it it bothers me when like we 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 hear adults talking about how the music and the things that the music says is like polluting our society. And and I wholeheartedly disagree. I know that it's can be problematic and how some people are viewed, how women are viewed, and how other people in your community are viewed in some of the songs you're talking about, but it's a reflection mm-hmm. of of what's happening right now. Yeah. Those are res- either responses or reflections of culture. Um and so to to blame music for inspiring people to be a certain way, like music can inspire people, obviously. But I think more often than not, music is a response and uh, a reflection of what's happening. Yeah. I'll, I'll close with this to kind of respond to something you said earlier. But it, it really, I had a thought and it just, it, it does amaze me how much the choreography and like dance, like it's very silly because I really like electronic dance music. But I had a thought where I'm like, man, the dance part of this matters quite a bit as far as like being on stage and like how much people value that form of expressionism yeah. and just um yeah i mean it's that's beautiful like uh, that it's you can use your body like to just like like non-verbally communicate i don't know like because it, it can be like you know like with like ballet it can be like thought provoking but you know it just could be as simple as like this is a gem it's just like enough that you can rhythmically find something like besides just like nodding your head yeah. like, to the music and that that's impressive. That's an art. And I love that. I mean, yeah, all the, all the forms of, ex- forms of expression are important, I think. And that's why we have all of them. I think dance in particular, I love how it's made its way into pop music. Um, how artists go on stage and huge concerts and dance mm-hmm. while they're singing or after like in the middle of their singing some some performers, some entertainers get to be triple threats yeah. in their career. They have to be, and it's incredible. Because again, like I have this luxury that sometimes I just get to stand there. Again, go to a recital and watch them just stand <laughs> there. <laughs> Live their hands once when talking about a flower. I don't know. But 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 modern performers have so much that they have to check, so many boxes. And and that's great. I'm I'm really happy about that because there are truly talented people that get to do all of that. And uh if you've ever seen me dance in a non-Hispanic capacity, I'm not that great at it. Not that great at it. Not even the good at the Hispanic dances, and I'm Hispanic. <laughs> I'm so happy about yeah. dance. I, I love ballet. Ballet is interesting. It's something. It's hard for me to get into, to be quite frankly with you. Sure. Um, but I know one of my close friends, who's also Hannah's close friend, Vanessa. Mm-hmm. She dances, and I got to see a lot of the process from her perspective, which is cool. 
Yeah. She I has mean, the vibes of Mexico. It just culturally, like, re- like you just do, you just move your body, and then somehow people are able to organize that into a performance. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the other, just everything the other day, I was watching an episode of Dance Moms. <laughs> I've never seen that show. Yeah, that's the problematic part of it in ballet. Give it a watch. No, but it's, it's, I love how dancing can just, can be just as expressive without words. Which I, you know, you were talking about how, you know, paying attention to lyrics and stuff and like, but I love when instrumental music makes me feel something. Because yeah. you guys, especially, I love it when like a little, little wind player like leans when making a like, a like string player sway. There's like, sometimes it's like, it, it does affect the performance. Because if you're there stiff, like playing the bassoon, you're going to be more nervous. Where if you're actually moving, it also helps you keep tempo. You know, obviously too, but yeah, like if, if you're actually feeling it and like moving along, like with whatever, like even though you, you don't have to, no one goes to the orchestra and it's like, oh, I loved like how like the violinist, like they leaned into this note, but it, it does, if that, if that's how, what gets you there to like have that out. But yes, uh, our, our, uh, producer has just shown us a clip of our guest Dancing. It was very uncalled for and unprofessional. Yeah, I'll be I'll be having a word with her. It's a, it's, it's a video of me dancing with a chair while I'm drunk. If anybody's wondering. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. <laughs> on that <laughs> There's no other way to end this. Um, in all seriousness, where where can people find your work? Uh, for now, I have an Instagram. That's Cesar Velez Tenor. First, last name, and the word tenor. Uh, I post clips of, there's clips of my recital and soon-to-be clips of my opera there. Uh, my personal account, Key of Caesar, is, kind of just post me most of the time, but uh, I, I update people there. Uh, Texas Tech Opera page, TTU Opera. You'll see updates on the performances there. And, of course, the link will be dropped on this for the full performance of Don Giovanni. So you can watch that there. And, uh, yeah. I'll hopefully have more recordings soon as I'm submitting for some competitions. So Nice. I'm excited. Looking forward to it. I'll be watching it after the post. Awesome. All right. Have we decided where we're eating? Lorraine said...